Just the other day, in a $10,000 buy-in poker tournament at the final table, Dale Negreanu, real kid poker, one of the absolute best poker players in the world, bet all of his chips against me on the river, except for one big blind. Notice here, he bet 415,000 out of his 465,000 chip stack with just jack high. Spoiler alert, I called, it worked out. But since then, about 573 of you have posted in the comments section below on YouTube or messaged me on Twitter or sent me an email saying, why in the world did Negreanu leave one big blind behind? What is he doing? Some of you say this must be an obvious tell that he's weak because if he had a good hand, he'd want to go all in. Well, that would be a heck of a tell, wouldn't it? I highly doubt Dan Legrandu is that horrible at poker to where whenever he has the nuts, he bets all of his chips. And when he's bluffing, he bets all of his chips minus one big blind. Some of you say that um, maybe he was nervous. Some of you think maybe he's trying to level me. But in reality, leaving behind one big blind in situations like this one is just good, strong, fundamentally sound poker. And if you are not doing that, you are leaving a lot of equity on the table. And in this video, I'm going to explain a few very important spots where you need to be leaving one big blind behind. A basic tournament principle is that chips you stand to lose are worth more than chips you stand to gain. Let me give you a very obvious example of this. Let's say you're playing at the final table of a tournament with 10 players remaining. Let's say you have a thousand big blinds. You're probably going to win. Everybody else has 10 big blinds. You're definitely going to win. In this scenario, if you go from 1,000 big blinds to 1,010 big blinds, say you bust someone, your equity in the tournament does not go up much at all because you're still basically going to take first place every time, right? You're almost never going to lose this scenario. But consider your opponent's stacks, right? If one of them loses their 10 big blind stack, they lose a lot of equity because one of those 10 big blind stacks is going to take second place for a lot of money. One's going to take third, one's going to take fourth, one's going to take fifth, right? So those 10 big blind stacks are actually quite valuable, even though they're almost never going to win the tournament and they're not that much of the total amount of chips in play. So this concept of chips you stand to lose being worth more than chips you stand to gain matters more and more and more as your stack becomes very short and very large on the other end, right? The chips you stand to gain then are actually not worth all that much. Usually you're not in a scenario where you have a thousand big blinds, but very often you may be in a spot where there are other short stacks at the final table and it's very, very valuable to potentially outlast them. So you're gonna find that on or near a payout jump in a tournament, you really do not want to go broke. And that becomes even more true as there are more and more shallow stacks or more and more big stacks who are just getting in there and battling hard because sometimes one of them will go broke and you'll get a free payout jump. So this play of keeping back one big blind when you go all in, can be used pre-flop, but it's especially useful on the river when you have a perfectly polarized range. So we're going to go through a pre-flop scenario and then also some post-flop scenarios so that you know when to implement this strategy into your game. So let's talk about pre-flop. Before the flop, you may ask, should I ever bet all my money minus one big blind? And the answer is yes, in these scenarios where there are payout jumps looming. Whenever you do bet all of your money minus one big blind, the strategy is to do that and then hopefully just check it down. If you win, great. Let's say you go all in for nine big blinds out of your 10 and someone calls in the big blind, let's just say. You both check it down. Say you win, you go up to 18 or 19 or 20 big blinds depending on the anti-structure. And if you lose, you go down to one. And realize here, having that one big blind is way more valuable than going from 10 to 21. 
right? Because the difference between 20 and 21 is like almost nothing. But the difference between 1 and 0 is actually some real amount. You may say, what if my opponent puts me all in before the flop? Well, yeah, you got to call it off. They ruined your play. What if the flop comes and they put you all in for one big blind? Well, you got to call it off. You can't really fold anything getting 21 to 1 pot odds or whatever it is, right? But quite often your opponent will let you check it down. And this play is actually especially strong on a multi-table bubble. A situation that comes up very often is say you're playing a giant field tournament that has 3,000 players. And let's say you're down, well, let's say 450 get in the money. And let's say you are now down to 54 players and 53 players get a little bit more money because there's a payout jump. This is a spot where you definitely want to leave yourself one big blind behind if you do go all in because quite often you'll be able to hang out for another three, four, or five hands before you are forced to go all in. Sometimes you'll win that, of course. And then sometimes you'll get a payout jump for free. And you got to realize with one big blind, you're probably not going to win the tournament, but you very often can secure an extra buy-in or two or three or five, depending on the payout structure. So this is very, very valuable. I actually had a spot where this happened to me at the beginning of this year. It was at the final table, well, almost the final table, of the $10,000 buy-in Poker Stars Caribbean Adventure, where we were down to, I may have the details slightly wrong, we were down to what I think was 12 players, and 11 players would get the payout jumps. We were playing at two tables, six-handed. There was a spot where someone raised to two big blinds. I went all in with, I don't remember what I had, ace, queen, or pocket tens, one of the two. It's funny how I don't remember these hands, because... In reality, they don't really matter that much. But opponent raised. I went all in minus one big blind. The opponent said, call, and then jammed all this money in. But I recognized that first off, he said call, so we're not all in. But also, we both had the same amount of chips. He actually had like one big blind more than me. But very importantly, at the other table, there was someone who had almost no chips, like six big blinds or something. And so... I made it very clear to the opponent within the rules of the game, we need to sit here and play this hand very slowly, check it down, and then one of us is going to have no chips and one of us is going to have some chips, but we both really want to get the payout jump, right? Because there was a $20,000 payout jump or something like that. And it turns out, while we were sitting there checking it down, the player at the other table busted. And I ended up beating my opponent in the hand. I won the flip. And I secured, well, my opponent secured the payout jump. You got a free $20,000 because we did not go all in pre-flop, run out the cards, be done with the hand, and then that player at the other table would have busted after us. So by making the non-all-in play, my opponent and I locked up, in this scenario, $20,000 for one of the two of us. It happened to be my opponent, which was great, but could have easily been me, right? So this scenario does come up quite often, and the players to just check it down, and you know, if you lose, you're down to one big blind, and you hang out, and then you try to spin it up. And sometimes you actually will spin it up. Post-flop, this scenario comes up a lot because very often when you take an aggressive betting line, you're going to want to be betting the river very big with some very strong hands and then some bluffs that usually cannot win at the river. So a good play, instead of betting all of your money, is to bet all of your money minus one big blind because a humongous bet is a humongous bet even if it's for all your money or all your money minus one big blind. Now, this does presume that your bluffs actually lose. Do not get rebluffed in this spot. I've actually seen someone get rebluffed one time in this scenario in a high roller tournament. It was these two battling European young kids, and they were they were just blasting it. And it turns out one of them bet on the river all of his money minus one big blind, and the other one instantly shoved all in. The other guy folded, jack high. His opponent said, ha ha, gotcha, and turned over 10 high. <laughs>
So don't let that happen. And for that reason, I usually only recommend this play whenever you actually are perfectly polarized or your opponent's not insane, right? The neat thing about this play is if you are playing somewhat balanced, then you have all the premium hands in your range. So you don't really care if you end up losing with the bluffs. But obviously, don't get rebluffed in the scenario, right? You really, 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 really don't want to get rebluffed. I'm going to show you an example of this spot. This is just a standard hypothetical GTO hand with no payout implications. But let's presume we're in this spot where we are playing in the big blind versus a low jack raise 40 big blinds deep. Okay, so the low jack raises, we call them the big blind. Flop comes, jack, 10, 3. We check, they bet 25% pot, we call. Turns a 7, it goes check, check. All right, there's 8.9 big blinds in the pot. We have 36 big blinds behind in our stack. This is a spot where most people do not use all-in bet sizes, but it turns out you actually should be using an all-in bet size quite often in this situation. On a two of clubs river, a total brick, you actually do want to have some humongous all-in bets with 16% of your range. That may sound insane, but it is a good play because you have lots of nine eights and your opponent does not. It turns out you also have lots of queen highs that block the nine eight. Notice we have in this scenario, uh, Queen nine and queen eight. These are hands that really, really, really want to load the money in because they are essentially never good against the opponent's range. And nine eight wants to load the money in because it's a super duper nuts. So with these types of hands in this region, ripping it all in is actually quite a strong play. It also looks like we can shove for value, which sounds a little bit aggressive to me, with king jack and queen jack, which is a lot of fun. I don't know if I necessarily recommend it. Hands like... Uh, Jack two, three two also can shove sometimes. Pocket twos, of course, for a set. But this is a spot where you may want to use very big overbets. And when you do make this very big overbet in a tournament with payout implications, you definitely want to leave one big blind behind in spots like this. And you got to realize your opponent's like not going to call with worse than queen high. And unless they're ridiculous, they're not going to be bluffing with, I don't know, give them the, the, the eight six suited or something. That'd be insane, right? So I think this is a pretty reasonable spot to go for the giant bet like this. Here I have another scenario. Same spot, except for the river comes a jack. Now we're going to be shoving a lot of jacks, right? You see a lot of jacks like to go humongous. The jack is almost always good. Essentially always good. And then we also have some bluffs. In this scenario, bluffs are going to be some busted flush draws down here. You see like uh, 9, 2, 8, 2, 6, 2, 5, 2, 4, 2, right? That makes a whole lot of sense to shove it all in. Those are almost never good. We also have 8, 5, and 8, 4 are shoving some portion of the time. So this is a pretty good spot to rip it in with those hands as well. We also still have queen 9 and queen 8 a large chunk of the time because those hands block the straight, and they also block the opponent's jack, a queen jack, and queen nine, queen eight, whatever, that's going to automatically call. So this is a spot where you do want to have some very, very big bets because you have a lot of nuts in your range and your opponent does not. In that scenario, you're essentially, oh, you essentially have a large chunk of your range that is very polarized. And when that's the case, you want to be loading the money in. But in a tournament, you want to be loading all your money in, minus one big blind, both with the nuts and with the bluffs, because that one big blind is quite relevant. Going back to this now Negranu hand. Let's take a look at the stacks at this final table. Here's Chino Reem, he has a lot of chips. Here's me, I have a lot of chips. And Chris Brewer, we all have a lot of chips. But two poker coaching coaches sitting here, Brock Wilson and Justin Saliba, both have only 12 and 16 big blinds. So when Negranu leads himself one big blind after I call, I do call with the 10-9 and win a nice pot, he gets to hang out for a little bit. Notice he's on the button, right? So he's going to get to play the cutoff, hijack, and low jack before he has to put his money in. And it turns out that's a decent amount of time. Sometimes one of these shorter stacks is gonna end up going broke. Also, sometimes I'm gonna get kings and Chris Brewer's gonna get aces and he's gonna stack me, right? 
and Negranu gets a free payout jump. And when you are playing six-handed at a final table, the payout jumps are very substantial. And what actually happened in this is that Negranu did get a double up. It's actually not even a double up. He ended up 5xing up. What happened is, if I recall, I raised with, um, I don't know, ace, ace two or something. Someone re-raised with ace five. He woke up a pocket sevens. I folded my ace two. His sevens beat the ace five, I think. Again, I could be getting the details wrong. All these details don't really matter. He 5xed up. Now he has five big blinds. Brock and Justin blinded down a little bit to like 10 big blinds. Now he's one double up away from having the same amount as the other short stacks. And he's, you know, kind of right back in it. And uh, he ended up busting. But this is a spot where his play, some portion of the time of leaving one big blind behind, is going to result him in him getting a payout jump or spinning it up. It happens. And obviously, when you have the jack high, you don't want to be going all, you don't want to put all of your money in. Keeping that one big blind back is definitely relevant. So, you want to make sure you are using this strategy. Going back to when you want to be using the strategy in particular, when there are payout jumps coming up in the near future. It's very, very important. Also, you want to make sure that short that a one big blind stack actually does have some value. Sometimes it won't. Like, let's say everyone at the final table has 60 big blinds. If you're down to one, I mean, yeah, you might spin it up, but it's worth less than if everybody has 12, right? Um, and also, you want to make sure that whenever you do are doing this on the river that you are actually pretty close to perfectly polarized and some of your opponents well you want to make sure your opponent's not insane to where they may decide to rebluff you that would be a disaster so anyway those are the main times you want to be doing this you definitely want to implement it into your strategy understand that chips you stand to lose are worth more than chips you stand to gain in a tournament and because of that hanging out with one big blind is very valuable now when you do get down to one big blind you got to realize you're not winning the tournament your goal is often to not try to aggressively spin it up a lot of people when they get down to one big blind think all right i'm going to try to get it in the next hand and the next hand and the next hand and 10 times my sack. But no, 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 no. You're just going to hang out and hopefully someone in the field is going to go broke and you're going to collect the payout jump. That's that's your added equity here the vast majority of the time. Now that's not to say you should go around folding reasonable hands, right? Like Negranu had raised, re-raised before when he put in with sevens, obviously. And, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you're going to lose. But it's a spot where I think some people just take that one big blind and throw it right in the trash. And that's not what you want to do. You want to make sure that you do have good, strong discipline and you play great poker with your one big blind, which actually is possible. Yeah, you're going to have to win a bunch of hands, but you, to some extent, get to pick the hands that you play. And sometimes you'll spin it up or collect a payout jump. So that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed today's video. If you did, do me a favor. Click the like and subscribe button below. I appreciate that. Also, if there's any spots where you think that maybe I missed, is there another scenario where you should put in one big blind? Or do you have, or save one big blind? Is there a one big blind savings success story that you have where you saved one big blind and it actually worked out? Write in the comment section below. I love reading your comments and I appreciate each and every one of you being here. Good luck in your games. Have fun. And when you get down to one big blind, I hope you run like the sun and spin it up.